0: For the last several weeks, we have been going through the book of Philippians, all right? And so we've started this road trip at the beginning of the summer, and we said, buckle up, right? We got into the car, and we said, for the next few months, we're going to go on a road trip through the book of Philippians, and we want to see how we're going to be different at the end of this journey than we were at the beginning, all right? And so for those of you who are, who are new with us, welcome, like Jordan said, um, you, you're welcome here, right? So I hope that you feel... Um, I hope you feel the friendliness and the warmth and everything, but just to clue you into what we've been doing. We've opened up the book of Philippians, and we've been going line by line, all right? We're going word by word, verse by verse, and as we're, as we're, as we're reading this, we're, we're doing it with a very important understanding. These are not my words, Okay? And so as I stand up here and speak for the next few moments, we've, we have this very conscious understanding. This is part of the culture here at Citizens, that what we're about to do is hear from God, okay? We believe that God, even though he's so up here, <laughs> go like this. like See, like where your fingertips can reach? He's past that, all right? Even though God is so big and transcendent, for some reason he's chosen to reveal himself to us, a small little people on this small little marble, okay? And so the way that he's revealed himself is through his word, through the person of Jesus. So all of the word points to Jesus. And so what we get to do every week, we get to look at this word and we say, God, what do you have for me? God, what do you have for citizens and what will you say to me? And so um, we're gonna dive right in here to Philippians chapter four. I read it a moment ago, but I want you guys to come with me today. Will you, are you willing to come with me? Do You guys wanna come see what God says to us and, and what he has for us in his word? Sound like a plan? All right, buckle up. Here we go. All right, let's look at the first verse again, all right? Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for. I'm sorry, I'm not reading this right. Let me try this again. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. The first thing that we're going to see tonight as we go on this journey and this is true, friends. This is, tr- this is real life here. This is God's word. Love speaks the truth. All right? If you guys are taking notes, you can grab your little, your little sheets here and you can write this down. Listen, love speaks the truth. How many of you guys, when you talk to your friends, you use the language out of Philippians 4, one? right? Do you guys like meet up before school and you're like, yo, my brothers, my joy, my... Cr-. Do you use that kind of language? Right? Don't we all? If you don't, you're weird. You should. I mean, obviously. So you look look at the words, though, and and right away we go, man, he's talking weird. I don't talk like that. Why is he using such funny language? It's because Paul is revealing with his words how much he loves the Philippians. Can you guys hear it? Do you, like, listen to these words and, and tell me if this guy is not in love with the Philippians. He says, brothers, my brothers. Look to the person next to you and say, my brother. My sister, yeah, right? You're like, my, uh, I'm trying to be obedient, and correct, right? So, so, all throughout the New Testament, you see this metaphor, right? The Bible is constantly using this metaphor for Christians. And he says, we're a family, right? God has saved me. He's my father. Father, God has saved me. He, if he's also saved you, that makes his brother and sister, right? And so, we see this all throughout the New Testament that part of the gospel is not simply. God's going to forgive you of your sins. God's going to give you eternal life. Part of the gospel is also this, that when he saves you, he's also giving you a new family. You receive a new community, right? And some of you guys are like, yes, please. I need a new family, right? I'm not going to go there. Don't raise your hands. Oh, my gosh. Yo, we need to start recording this thing, like video. (laughs) Just like everybody's going to be like sitting up. They're not going to enter. This is going to be awesome, right? Because your parents will be watching. I'm not a snitch. I won't do that. Anyway, right? So when you when you when you get saved, right? He gives you a new family. And so you can now appropriately look at the people next to you like Paul does and you could say, "My brothers, my sisters. I got your back, girls, right? Ladies? Yeah, right, ladies? My sisters, right? There's a brother here. Look at us. He says, he says love and long for. Can you think of people that you long to be around? Can you, like, honestly, do you have people in your life that you're saying, man, just the thought of going to see them, like, I get pumped. I'm looking forward to that. Do you have people like that? You know me. Everybody should be raising their hand. You're like, every Wednesday night, Sam, I love and long for you. Ouch. All right. The fact that you're not laughing. Great, right? That's the Philippians. Paul says, I love you. I long for you. He says, you're my joy. I receive joy from you. And then he uses this really funny word. He says, you're my crown. All right. Now I'm telling you, I know you all talk like this, right? You're like, oh, my crown. What's up? You're right. Yeah. No. Paul, he's using this metaphor, right? A crown is symbolic of a reward. And so the idea, right, in the New Testament is that one day we will show up before Jesus. Those of us who have been saved will show up before Jesus and receive a reward for our works, right? The things that we did in this life that were substantial, that are good, they will endure forever. And Paul says this. He says, when I stand before God one day, you know what my crown is? You know what my reward is? Seeing the Philippians' faith. You know what what really satisfies me? You know what my reward is? Seeing the Philippians standing with me in heaven. That is the satisfying fruit of my labor. And so all that to say, Paul loves these people. I say loves You know how there's like a million different words for love, right? Right? It's like, hey, I love you. Love ya. Huge, very, very important distinction, right? If it's a YA, don't read into it, okay? I love ya. I love my food. I love pizza. There's all these different loves. But this is like, he loves them, right? Like this deep love. But I want you to see this. What does his love cause him to do? I love you. You're my joy. You're my crown. I long for you. I love you. Not you, dude. I'm like, in, oh, come on, man, right? I, I love you. What does his love cause him to do? It causes him to speak the truth. Hear me, students, listen to me. You live in a culture that says, oh, if, I, if you really love me, don't, you won't say that to me, right? Like, if you really love me, you're just gonna like, you're just gonna speak positivity to me. If you really love me, you wouldn't be having that conversation with me. But that's not the example we learn from Paul here. We learn that true love, genuine, godly, biblical love always speaks the truth. Always speaks the truth. Love is willing to have those hard conversations. Love is willing to bring up something, no matter how uncomfortable it may be. And you guys know about those conversations, right? You know, it's like, it's like our body instinctively knows when there's a conversation coming like that because what happens? Right? Does anybody struggle with sweaty palm, right? I think that's like the technical condition, right? I don't struggle with sweaty palm. Like I don't wake up in the morning and like my hand is like glued to my face. I'm like, man, this sweaty palm, right? Like that's not me, right? I like to think I have some fresh palms, okay? Nice and like, considerably moist, but not like, not like oppressive, you know? But when there's a hard (laughs) conversation, we're going to rewind that one, right? But check it out, but check it out. But listen, but listen, but listen. Even me, my body knows when there's a hard conversation coming, because what happens? Sweaty Sweaty palms, right? My heart is in my chest. I can't swallow, right? I'm like, who puts... I, just, I can't even swallow. I just get nervous, right? And everything inside of me is saying there's a hard conversation coming, right? If someone genuinely loves you, when they have those feelings coming up, guess what they do anyway? They lean into it. Love speaks the truth. Love is willing to have those hard conversations, no matter how hard it is, because love wants to see you doing well. Love wants to see you doing well. If I love you, I'd rather be uncomfortable for a few moments but and see you sweat and sweat myself in places I don't normally sweat in order to see you doing better. That's love. True love speaks the truth. That's what Jesus did, friends. Jesus came, John 1 Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And that you're like, Some of you guys here, a minute ago, you were nodding. You're like, oh, yeah, love speaks the truth, right? Because really what you're thinking is, I can be a jerk, and I can be rude, and I can just chalk it up to love. Dude, I'm just telling it how it is, bro. I love you. That's why I'm being, no, 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 no. True love speaks the truth, but it's always with love, right? The source of it is love. Jesus came, and he brought grace. He brought love, compassion, but it was tempered by, you have both, right? Right? And that's exactly what Paul is doing here. You see him doting on the Philippians. I love you. I long for you. Therefore, when I speak to you, I'm going to speak truth. And what we're about to see here in the text is that Paul is exhorting the Philippians. Do you guys know what it means to exhort? Exhort? You're like, I didn't even know that was a word. Do you play Scrabble, Sam? No, I don't. But exhort is a biblical word. And so let's define it. To exhort is this. To strongly encourage or urge to call to action. To strongly encourage or urge to call to action. Does this sound familiar? It doesn't sound familiar? Do you ever have anybody in your week strongly encouraging you or urging you? Do you ever have anybody in the middle of the week, maybe like on a Wednesday evening, calling you to a certain action? This is, what pre- this is part of what preaching is, guys. Like when I show up on a Wednesday, part of my job here is I'm exhorting you. I'm calling you to a certain action in light of truth. And you're like, I thought you just stood up there to be funny and make funny jokes. I, trust me, if I made my living that way, I'd be poor. I'm not that funny. See? Right. Okay. <laughs> I'm just being real, right? Speak the truth. You can tell me in love. Sam, you're not funny. But here's the thing. On a weekly basis, part of my preaching is exhorting. It's calling to action. In light of truth, there's times where I urge you towards something, friends. There's times as as even some of you students have been in my office one-on-one or one-on-three or whatever it is. There's times where I'm calling you to something. And there's times where it's uncomfortable, this urging, where you feel like, man, Sam, just why are you being so urging about this chill exhorting me all right remember friends the exhortation is always rooted in love the reason why your youth staffers exhort you the reason why i preach and exhort you the reason why paul is exhorting the philippians is because love speaks the truth okay and so paul loves them and therefore he's going to speak the truth and here's what his exhortation is do you see it this is the launch for the rest, of the, the rest of our verses here. Look at the exhortation. He says, my beloved, stand firm in the Lord. That's the big idea today, friends. Here's the exhortation. The reason why I'm up here tonight standing here, the reason why Paul wrote these last few verses, he is calling them, he's exhorting them, stand firm in Jesus. He wrote a letter, and at the end of the letter, he's urging them. Do, uh, do you hear it? This is not like, hey, uh, hey, young ladies and hey, young men, maybe you should think about considering standing firm in Jesus. I mean, it may be a good... He's just urging. He's pleading. Please stand firm in Jesus. Stand firm in Jesus. Please stand firm in Jesus. All right? title of my message is X Marks the Spot. There's an X here on the floor, right? If you can't see it, trust me, it's here. And the idea is when he says stand firm... What he's saying is stay rooted, be steadfast in your faith, don't be moved off the mark. Friends, we just, we know the gospel. We hear this every week, right? Jesus, he came and he saved you. He brought you into the family and he's placed you here. And now this is what Paul wants you to do. Those of you who believe in Jesus, those of you who have become Christians, those of you who are getting baptized here in a few weeks, he's saying right here, X marks the spot, stand firm. Stand firm. Don't be moved. Live for him right here. Pursue knowing God. Stay rooted. Everybody say stand firm. And then if you have the ability to do that, like this is it right here, right? I'm not just like perusing over here. I don't just have, I'm like rooted right here. I'm standing firm. Stand firm in Jesus. This is where I want you, Paul says. And citizens, my desire for you, the reason why I do this every week, the reason why you have youth staffers here, we desire more than anything that you would stand firm in Jesus. I just had lunch with one of our seniors, Josh. You guys remember Josh Phelps? He gave his testimony a few weeks ago. He just shipped off to college, man. We, we had lunch on Tuesday, and he was taking off the next morning on a plane to California. And my advice to him, after being in this text, I was like, bro, I love you, man. Can't wait to see you. Stand firm in Jesus. Some of you guys, you're going into high school. Some of you guys are already in high school, final year. And I want more than anything. I want to see you a year from now. And I'm going, hey, Asia, how you doing? How was your first year of college? I'm standing firm in Jesus, right? Hey, Swaggy J, how was eighth grade, man? Looking good, dude. I stood firm for Jesus. I want to see youth staffers and say, dude, how's your work going? How is college? I'm standing firm for Jesus. I'm rooted. But here's what breaks my heart, friends. And here's why Paul has to even tell them to stand firm for Jesus. Because there are things in your life. There are things in your schools. There are things in society and culture that threaten to move you off the mark. You know what I'm talking about? There are things in your life that threaten to keep you from standing firm. And some of those things, they push you off. Some of those things pull you off. Some of those things get in your head and entice you. You're like, oh, yeah, what? Whatever happened over here? Anyway, and before you know it, friends, you are no longer standing firm. And for the next few moments, I'm going to show you in this text three things that Paul says will help you stand firm for Jesus. Jesus. Three things that threaten, as you're standing firm, they threaten to push you off. Three things that, that threaten to keep you off the mark. And we're going to look at three of those right now, okay? Three of them. And look, let's look at the next few verses and um, let's stand firm in Jesus. Let's check it out. Look at verses two and three. He says, I entreat Judea. That's a female name, all right? I know most of you knew that, but I was was talking to myself, right? I entreat Yudia, and I entreat Syntyche, also a female name. Um, How many people know the Bible's not like the coolest place to find names sometimes, right? If you're like me, and you like got Samuel, you're like, check, I'm good, right? You got Stephen, you got Courtney's not in the Bible, right? You got David, Jonathan. Then there's some people in the Bible that were not so fortunate, and you're like, my mom hated me. She didn't want me, and she named me Judea, right? And then Syntyche, like, God bless you, right? Like, he, like, gave birth. What's the name? Right, just sneezed, and, like, I don't know. But anyway, these are female names, and look what he says, right? What's Paul's big idea here? Stand firm in Jesus. What's Paul's big idea here? (laughs) It's like third-grade zombies. Stand firm in. All right, so the big idea is stand firm in Jesus. Let's look at the first thing we see, all right? Look at the first thing. I entreat Judea and I entreat Cytache. That word entreat" means to exhort. We just talked about that. I exhort them, I urge them. I'm appealing to them, please. ladies. Agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, my true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. The first thing that Paul says that's going to help us stand firm is that we need to destroy disunity. We need to destroy disunity. This is disunity. This is disunity right here. We'll put it right here. Right? So here's the background, right? The background is there's these two ladies in Philippi, right? And they're prominent ladies. They're cool. They're probably influential, maybe some leaders. But they get into like, um, what do you guys call it, drama? Cat fight? That was like a frog fight, right? But these, I'm going to work on that. I don't, I, I really, I don't even got it. Yeah, they get into a meow fight, right? And so these two ladies, right? These two ladies in the church, it was crazy. They had this disagreement. They, it, and it probably started off as like a little bit of like a, no, 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 I, I disagree with you. But you guys know how it goes, right? It escalates. Go up the escalator and it gets intense. And you guys know how it goes. Before you know it, these ladies are at this sharp disagreement. And what happens when there's a sharp disagreement? People start taking sides, Right? And now before you know it, it's not simply, oh, Yudia and Sintaki are kind of like having a little tiff. It's like, dude, there's like Team Yudia and Team Sintaki in the congregation, right? And you're like, you know, I actually agree with Sint on this one, right? Sinti, Sinti for short, it's like Cindy. That's the, what Cindy stands for, Sintaki. Cindy's not short for anything, is it? Cynthia, that's what it is, right, I knew it, right So you have like, and then you have people saying No, I actually agree with Yudia And before you know it, this sharp disagreement is threatening To split the entire congregation And so now you come on a Wednesday night to Citizens And Key is sitting over here with her posse And Yudia is sitting over here with her posse And it's just like, and the people in the middle are just like This is awkward Just Awkward turtles everywhere, you know It's like, I don't even know what to do and so Paul, he writes to this drama, and check it out, friends. Check it out, check it out, check it out. When you are in disunity, guess what? You're not standing firm anymore, right? Instead of focusing on Jesus, instead of seeking him, instead of pursuing him, something happens. The disunity now threatens to push you off because instead of focusing on that, what are you focusing on? I want to win. I want to be right. I want you to pay. I want to put you down, right? And you're like, nobody ever says that, but you think it's... And so Paul, true or false, Paul loves them. True or false, Paul loves them. So true or false, Paul is willing to bring up the hard conversation. Paul loves them, and so he's about to bring up an issue. He's about to speak to this awkward disagreement here, even though it's sensitive, even though it's uncomfortable, he loves them, and he knows that disunity threatens to keep them from standing firm in Jesus. And so look what he says to it. He loves them, and so he entreats them. He exhorts them. Please, 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 ladies, destroy disunity. Ladies, please, I... I know you're disagreeing, and I know that as Christians, we don't have to agree on every little thing, but I want you to agree in the Lord. I want you to destroy this disunity. I want you to live in harmony. And you remember from weeks ago, right? Josh, you're like always the guy here. Me and Josh, remember, we talked about what it looks like to live in unity? We're arm in arm. Does not mean we agree on every single little thing? No, right? But we have the goal, right? We have the goal and we're striving together, right? We're of the same mind. We're of the same goal. Why are we together right now? Because we love each other. Because Jesus brought us together, right? Jesus saved us and he brought us into the family. And so, with our fellow family members, with our co workers and co laborers, we are striving together. And he says, Friends, I want you to be, ladies, I want you to go back to this, right? Ladies, I want you to go back to living in harmony and agreeing in the Lord. When you're you're in conflict with another person, especially another Christian, it's almost impossible to stand firm in Jesus, right? When you have conflict, what's the last thought you're thinking about when you go to bed at night? That conflict, right? You wake up in the morning and you're in the shower and you're having fights with that person in your head. And you're like, you're literally going back and forth in dialogue. When you're not right with another person who's made in the image of God, it's almost impossible to be right with God. And so it messes you up as an individual. But disunity, it doesn't only mess up you as an individual, it threatens to disrupt an entire community. When it comes to disunity, friends at Citizens, there is like... We don't pretend like it doesn't exist and just let it move on, and if we just, la 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 la, I'm not listening, eventually it'll go away, it will go away, and you have an empty room, right? Disunity threatens to keep us from standing firm. Disunity threatens to divide entire congregations. And the older you get, the longer you're a Christian, you'll be around long enough to see how destructive and sad it is when those congregations are divided. How does it make Jesus feel when he sees a group of people that he died for to bring them together, when he sees that group of people be dis- divided and disunited? How does it make Jesus feel, right? You ever buy something really nice, like really expensive, and then it got ruined? You're like, yo, first day of school, my kicks were fresh. They were lit. They were on fleek. And then this scrub came over and stomped on my Jordans. Disrespect. (laughs) They were white. And you know what makes me even more mad? When they step on it on purpose because they're white. You know people like that? It's almost like they have like the Jordan sensor. They're just walking and it's like beep, 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 beep. beep. There are clean Jordans around. There are clean Jordans. <laughs> right? Is that still like that in high school? Do you guys not have those people in school? That they see you wearing fresh stuff and they go, <laughs> <laughs> some of you are like, that's me. Dang it. Okay. Right? <laughs> How does it make you feel when you, when you spend money on something and then it gets ruined? It stinks. What if you gave your life toward that? What if the price was your very life? That's the church. Jesus Christ paid his life to bring a group of people together to unite them. And yet when we allow disunity to be in the midst of us, it it destroys those things. And so that's why Paul is coming out and he's saying, Philippians, I exhort you because I love you. Citizens, I'm here right now. I'm exhorting you because I love you. Please, I appeal to you. Destroy disunity. Destroy it. Ladies, agree in the Lord. Brothers, agree in the Lord. Destroy disunity. But then look what Paul says. He's so practical. He's so legit. He says, I entreat the ladies to agree in the Lord. But look what else he says. He says, I ask you also, true companion, probably talking to the pastor there or one of the leaders. He goes, I ask you also, help these women. Sometimes we get into conflict as people, as human beings, as students, as hormonal teenagers. I'm not hormonal! (laughs) I believe you. Right? That was me as a teenager, dude. I like, my parents were like, Sam, you're gonna grow out of this. Like, this is teenagers. I'll never grow out of it because I'm there already and I hate my life. I'm like, dude, I look, like literally, I go back and watch reruns in my mind of my life and uh, I, I just call my parents and I'm like, I'm so sorry. They're like, what are you talking about for 2007? I'm just, what, you t- what part? All of it. I just, <laughs> I just apologize. How many of you guys will apologize to your parents a few years from now? You already know. Like You're in it and you already know. I'm going to apologize for this, right? Like, just start a journal and just be like, all right, dear diary, today is Wednesday, August 17th, apologize for everything. Today's Thursday, August 18th, note to self, apologize for everything. And then you'll have this journal, and then one day when you're an adult, you'll go back and you can, like, just read your parents that instead of, like, having these random flashbacks at night like I do. I'm like, mom, I just woke up in the middle of the night, and God reminded me that I, like, the Battle of the Broom. I can't even tell the story about the Battle of the Broom right now. It's nuts, dude. I can't, no, no, no. Nope, 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 no. No! No, God, no! All right? My point is, what is my point? Where am I going? This unity, love, uh, individuals. Oh, all right, so, so, so check it out, check it out, check it out, check it out, right? Not only, like he recognized that even though you are hormonal teenagers and even though we're humans, and he says, I please, 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 please agree in the Lord, sometimes you need a mediator. Paul's practical. I'm entreating you ladies, I'm entreating you young men, agree in the Lord, but then he goes, hey, and by the way, leaders in the church, by the way, you other companions who have labored with me in the gospel, by the way, if they can't agree, which is a possibility, I need you to step in. And so when we're here and we, there's disunity among us, Paul says, I want you to take it upon yourself to agree. But if two, people, if two people cannot agree, the rest of the community can now step in and say, hey, wait a minute, we're gonna help here. We're gonna be a mediator here. We're gonna help you destroy disunity because this is too important to sit back and just let it destroy the community. That's why youth staffers, listen to me, youth staffers, you are the true companions, okay? Paul is saying, I ask you also, true companions, help these women agree in the Lord. Chad, help them, right? Them brothers need help, man, right? Some of these guys be needing help to agree in the Lord, right? It's true. So, all right. Last thing here, last thing here for this point, right? The way, one of the ways that we destroy disunity, this is not simple. Oh, man, I got to, oh, listen to me, students. This is not a lesson on be good boys and girls. This is not a lesson on to be really well-mannered. You have to be able to destroy disunity. This is not a moralistic good night fairy tale behave story. Paul is not simply interested with I want all of you guys to play nice and get along. Make sure you agree. No, no, no. Look what he says. Look at the exhortation. He says, I entreat you guys to agree in the Lord. Everybody say, in the Lord. Lord. He's not simply saying, get along to be good boys and girls. He's saying, I want you to agree in the Lord. That's huge. This is what that means. He's saying, in light of the fact that we are in Christ, In light of the fact that God, when he saved you, he put you with other Christians. In light of the fact that me and you as a Christian have the same mission and the same vision and the same purpose. In light of that fact, live in harmony. It makes no sense for two Christians who are laboring for the same thing to not get along. It makes zero sense for two people whose names are written in the book of life next to each other to not be able to live next to each other. He's saying, I want you to agree, not just so that you're well-mannered. I want you to agree in the Lord. How are you two not getting along? Your names are literally in the same book of life. You have the same salvation. You have the same purpose. Agree in the Lord. Makes sense. How can we as a group of citizens, how can we as a group of students who don't wanna be fake and we don't wanna be like, yeah, look at me, I'm gonna get wet in the water. No, we're getting baptized. We're declaring to the world, I live for Jesus and I belong to his family. How can two students who have declared that very thing not get along, destroy disunity? I want us to be a community that has zero tolerance for disunity. I want us to be a community of mature students that we don't stoke the fire of disunity by gossiping. Oh my gosh, Josh, did you hear about those two? They have a fight and oh my gosh, I agree with her. And oh my, did you hear about that? Oh my God. Right? No, no, no. We're going to be mature. And I'm going to say, dude, especially upperclassmen where are my upperclassmen at, right? You guys, you, your, your student leaders, you're leading the movement. When you see these young people, when you see these middle schoolers engaging in fights, I want you to get mad over it. Right? not mad like at them. I'm mad that disunity is coming into my house and threatening to move us off the mark. Seniors, take it personal. I exhort you, destroy disunity. Don't tolerate it. Don't even let it step foot in the house because when it comes in, it pushes us off the mark. Stand firm in Jesus. And the first way to do that, destroy disunity. Let's look at the second thing. Look at verses, um, where are we at? Look at verses, look at the next verses, right? Um, Oh, verse four, here we go. All right, rejoice in the Lord always. How often? Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. Everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So look at his command here. He's saying, citizens, rejoice, right? He's saying the same thing we've been saying. He's like, I want you to stand firm in Jesus and I want you to rejoice. I want you to find joy in Jesus. Some of you guys need to hear that tonight. Some of you guys need to hear that there is joy to be found in Jesus. Some of you guys, especially those of you who grew up in the church, when you talk to me about Christianity, you know what it sounds like you're describing? Eating your vegetables, right? You know what it's like to eat your vegetables? I hate this, but I know it's good for me, (sighs) right? Friends, that's not Jesus. There is joy in Jesus. So when we stand firm in Jesus, and we persevere, and we pursue him, we can find out that there's actually joy to be found. There is joy to be found. But here's the reality. Disunity is not the only thing that threatens to move us off that mark, Disunity is not the only thing that threatens to to push us and keep us from standing firm for Jesus. There's another thing. It's anxiety. And everybody's anxious right now. It's anxiety. Back in the book of Matthew, Jesus describes what the root of anxiety is. And he says, it's when you worry when you worry about your food and you start to worry about your clothes and you start to worry about where you'll live and then you start to worry about going back to school and you're worrying about your social circles and you're wondering and you're worrying about college and career and you have all of these worries and there's a little voice in your head and what does the little voice say well if you don't worry about it who will how many of you guys know what anxiety is right can i go two hands here and you feel like my heart is going to explode right I was talking to Courtney earlier, and she said, anxiety is like a tornado. And I was like, enough said. All right. I get that. That is vivid. You feel like you're taking crazy pills. But when you're, when you're here trying to stand firm, anxiety threatens to move your feet off the mark. Because this is what anxiety does. It goes, I know you're trying to live for the Jesus thing, but like, there are so many more things that need your attention right now, young lady. Young men, I know you're trying to do the Jesus thing, but like seriously, have you not thought about this? This needs your attention, and this needs your attention, and you should be worrying about this. If you don't worry about it, who will? And then, did you remember this? And then, before, and before you know it, your joy has been robbed, and you're just worried about life. Have you ever been there? Raise your hand. Have you been there, right? Weeks go by. Months go by. Six months go by, and you go, man, I haven't been to a youth group in a minute. What happened? Oh, because I'm anxious. Man, I just—you know—I'll get back to the church thing after I figure this out because I'm just so stressed right now, and I just—you know—I just gotta like put the pedal to the metal and take care of this. Friends, the things to take care of will never go away. They will never go away. But look at the cure. Look what he says. Here's the cure to anxiety. You're like Sam. You figured out the cure to anxiety? You should write a book. I would, but it's already been written and it's called Philippians, okay? Circa 2000, years ago, right? Look at the cure. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. This is what Paul says. He goes, anxiety threatens to move you off the mark, but here's what I want you to do instead of worrying. Here's what I want you to do instead of being anxious about all of those things. And then he uses three words. He says prayer, supplication, and request. These are three words that are highlighting the same thing. Bring those things to God. Those things that we're worrying about. The little voice says, if you don't worry about this, who will? If you don't take care of this, who will? Jesus tells us in Matthew, your heavenly father will. Your heavenly father will. He says in everything by prayer. And so here's what we do, friends, right? I'm not, I'm not of the school that says just close your eyes and pretend and it'll all go away. That's not trust, all right? And I'll give you a little formula in a second, here, but that's not trust. Trust doesn't say, la, 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 God's got me and I just don't think about it. No, 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 no. Here's, here's what it means. By pr- in everything by prayer, that means every time an, an anxious thought comes to your mind. Every time there's a worry, right? You're going to be on the drive home and you go, oh my gosh, I just thought about the first day of school. How am I going to survive, right? Oh my gosh, I just had the thought. What am I going to, where are we going to get money? I just found out my dad lost his job. I just found out this. My parents are getting divorced. And and all these little anxiety things that start to come and we start to carry them. And before you know it, you're like this, right? It was like boulders. This is what he says, in everything, no matter how big, no matter how small, Every time that little stone, that little burden comes to you, you bring it to God. In everything, no matter how big or small, in everything, with prayer, you bring it to God. And so you start to develop this habit as students, right? You start to develop this habit that everything, you're bringing it to God, and you're saying, God, I need something. And that's not all prayer is, but it's part of it. God, I have a supplication. I have a request. And I don't know how I would do it, so I'm going to give it to you because you're my heavenly father. He's a good, good father. And so we're bringing everything to God, but at the same time, you know what else we do in prayer? This is not talked about a lot. You know what else we're supposed to do in prayer? More than just in November? Thanksgiving. In everything, with prayer and supplication, with Thanksgiving. So not only am I bringing my current request to God, I'm also thanking him. I have this mentality, I'm constantly thanking him for how he's already taken care of me. And look what happens. Students, ah, those of you who struggle with anxiety, look at the text. Here's what happens, right, when you are depending on God in prayer, right? That's the second thing. Depend on God in prayer. Here's what happens. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so here you are, right? You're trying to stand firm in Jesus, and anxiety shows up, and it's about to do this to you. It's about to give you a big kick in the side of the head and kick you off your mark, but here's what happens. When you start, when anxiety is coming, you say, no, 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 I'm gonna give my request to God. I'm going to thank God, and look what God gives me in exchange, he gives me his peace. And as anxiety comes and threatens to take my heart and my mind off of Jesus, the peace of God calms those things and guards them. And so it's like anxiety is literally coming to me and the peace of God stands and protects my mind and he guards my heart. Well, Sam, does that mean everything changes when I pray? Not all the time. It doesn't mean that everything changes. It doesn't mean that everything becomes instantly better. But, and you don't even understand how it could possibly be better, but there's a peace, there's a confidence, there's a trust. God's got me. He's my father. And even though I can't understand how it's gonna work out, I trust him. And that peace, friends, those of you who have experienced that peace, it, it, tra- I can't, it goes past my understanding. It goes past my knowledge. The peace of God will protect our hearts. And so here's a question for you, friends, as we deal with anxiety. My question is this. Do you spend more time worrying and complaining about those needs than you do talking to Jesus about them? All right, we all have needs. We all have stressors. Do you spend more time complaining about your stressor, talking to your friends, venting, than you do actually bringing them to Jesus? Well, I mean, I mean, I I don't actually bring them to Jesus, but I mean, He's God, right? So He already knows anyway. And doesn't God already know? And so if He already knows, then I mean, I'm good. No, 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 no. That's not trust. Trust is not just I'm just gonna ignore it and hope that God sees it somehow because He's big. No, no, trust is a confident statement that says, Jesus, I need this. When my son is hungry, right, and we're sitting at the breakfast table, he doesn't sit there, even though he's brilliant, you know, he's like such a smart 13-month-old. I'm gonna use months until he's like six years old, just so you guys know. Dude, when he's like 79 months, oh man. My son, he sits at the table. When he wants something, he doesn't go, you know, my dad loves me. My mother definitely loves me. They take care of my needs, so I'm just going to sit here, and I'm just going to trust that he gives it to me, right? And Micah sits there with his little fork and spoon, and just, and he stares at me. I know you love me, Father, so I'm just, I know I don't even have to ask you, right? When he wants something, what does he do? (laughs) He literally points and groans, right? Uh! Uh! Uh!" Right? When he learned that asking for something got him something, all oh, lights started going off, people. It was nuts. He goes, If I ask for this, I get it. He knew, he just, he has this childlike faith that says, My dad loves me. So if I point and groan, what am I going to get it? What am I going to get? I'm going to get it. Uh, uh, uh. And what do I do because I love him, right? Do I sit there and go, Micah, now that's your third cup of apple juice, mister. You're going to poop a crazy diaper. I give it to him every time I give it to him um, he has a full breakfast dude. this this you've seen this baby he's like this big right I don't even know what size like like in inches but he's like a, he's like one-sixth of me right we were outside in the driveway and there was a pickup truck in the driveway he wasn't bigger than the tire and I was looking at that and I go Joe that's hilarious he's literally smaller than a tire But this dude eats, he'll sit down and he gets a full egg, right? He doesn't get a bite of dad's, he gets his own egg. So we'll like crack a full scrambled egg, we'll give it to him. He will destroy the entire egg. It's more like every other bite because it's like one for me, one for the floor, one for me, one for the floor, right? And so he eats an entire egg and then dude, I'm not lying, I'm sitting here and I'm watching him and I'm like, he's going fast, dang it, he's going fast, I better hurry up because I know as soon as he's done, he slaps the table and he goes... Uh, right. come on Mike I'm hungry right he wants my food now I'm like tsk, fine right and I just start feeding him my food <laughs> just Kayla am I lying I'm, and I'm like man this little kid but he knows if I just ask my father he will give it to me if you don't worry about that stuff who will your heavenly father and so every time you have that need every time you have that stressor You depend on God in prayer. And so I want you guys to think about it. Tonight as we sing, tonight as you guys go back to your rooms and you're you're driving home, I want you to take inventory of your heart. What are the things that have been making me anxious? What are the things that have been stressing me out? What are the things that consume my mind and keep me from standing firm in Jesus? And I want you to do something provocative tonight, okay? I want you to do something crazy, I want you to talk to God, your Father, about it specifically. And so when you pray tonight, it's not going to sound like this. Dear God, oh, so you know everything that's going on, and so please take care of it in Jesus' name, amen. No, 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 not tonight. You're going to say, God, one at a time, there's this. And then you're going to tell them how you feel about it. God, I am stressed out about this school stuff. And then you're going to bring up this, God, my family, I, just, I feel like I'm trying to keep them together, and I don't even know what's going on, but... I'm stressed about this, I'm stressed about this, and you're gonna bring your supplications with thanksgiving. You're gonna say, God, I have this, but I'm also remembering that you did that for me once, so I'm thankful for the ways that you already take care of me, but as you do these things, you're gonna leave them with God. So God, I'm bringing this to you, so tell me what your plan is. No, 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 God, I'm bringing this to you, and I'm just gonna leave it there, and I'm trusting that you are my Father, and we're gonna avoid anxiety from pushing us off the mark. Last verses here, final verses. Look at the third thing that he calls us to do in verses seven and eight, or verses eight. Finally, brothers. Everybody's like, finally, Paul. Man, this is a long eight verses, right? It's like, they're not long. I'm long. I apologize. I don't apologize. Verse eight. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is commendable. You just gotta say that word like that, right? You're like lovely. No, lovely. Whatever is commendable. If there's anything that is excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, what does he say to do? Think about these things. The third thing that we are to do, citizens, students, the third thing, the final thing, if we wanna stand firm for Jesus we intentionally guard our thought life. Intentionally guard your thought life. That's what I'm urging you, that's what I'm exhorting you today. Intentionally guard your thought life. Just from destructive thoughts. If you're gonna stand firm, and I, I have these kind of conversations with you guys all the time, but I'm gonna do it again, all Right. If you are to stand firm in Jesus, you need to guard your thoughts because your thoughts lead to actions. Make sense? That's why the Bible is always saying things like guard your thoughts, right? Protect your thoughts, renew your mind, be new in your thinking because the Bible recognizes your thoughts will lead to your actions. So wherever you're thinking, that's where you're going. And so Paul is saying, Be on guard from destructive thoughts because destructive thoughts will lead to a destructive life. And so I don't want you citizens, I don't want you students thinking about destructive thoughts. Paul says, how about you think about these things instead? Hey, Justin, let's show them a picture of my cousin, cousin Vinny. What's up, bro? That's a scary dude. That's not my cousin Vinny. If he was my cousin i don't even know all right how many people can guess his profession bodyguard you say close close what dancer oh a bouncer yes he's a bouncer now i'm like he does not look like a ballerina piper come on now right yo this dude is a bouncer So here's what you use a bouncer for. For those of you uninitiated, to party bouncers, okay? Here's what you do with a bouncer. If you have a guest list of people that are allowed in, you're always going to have people not on the list who try to get in, right? You guys don't use party bouncers for your sweet sixteens? Is that just (laughs) right? (laughs) So what you do is check it out. If you only want certain people in, if you only want certain individuals in your party. You hire a bouncer, right? And so people stroll up and they're like, yo, Vinny, what's up, man? How you doing? And they try to do the slide and get in. And he's like, hey. And he puts out his arm. It's like really this big, but it's like that wide. It's like, "Doof!" right? And they're like, and he's like, what's, what's your name? Uh, Tommy? You're not on the list, pal. And he bounces him out of there, right? And so people are like, dude, I want to be on the in, but right now I'm on the out because Vinny's in the way, and so I got to get around this guy. But you're not getting around Vinny. How many people know you're not getting around Vinny? You are not getting around Vinny. And all the sixth graders are like, yeah, yeah, all right? In the same way that Vinny guards the party, in the same way that Vinny is strongly discerning who's allowed in and who's not allowed in, in the same way you guys are to guard your thoughts. And there are going to be thoughts. You're watching movies, you're reading books, you're listening to songs, you're talking to friends, and all of these thoughts are like, yo, let me get in there. Yo, think about me, yo, think about me. Let me get in there. And if you guys don't have a bouncer, right? You're like, who's the bouncer? Bad analogy. If you guys don't act like a bouncer and guard your thoughts and say, whoa, 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 you're trying to get in here? Who are you? What's your name? Oh, I'm Lust. Not on the list. Who are you? Oh, I'm bitterness. Not on the list. Yo, I'm anger. Not on the list. Oh man, I'm insecure. Not on the list. Hey man, I'm I'm promiscuity. You know what I mean? Not on the list. I don't even know what my name is. Not on the list. But here is the guest list, friends. Here are the thoughts that are allowed into the party of your mind. Look, and Paul gives you the guest list. What's on the guest list? Whatever is true. Truth. Do you think about and contemplate things that are not true? I listen to some of your music. Garbage, right? Yo, like, listen, I grew up in a church. I'm going to be real with you. I grew up in a church that was very strict, and they said, you don't listen to anything that's not by a Christian band, right? And I became depressed because Christian bands in that day were horrible, right? And so I actually spent a whole year of not listening to music, and all I did was listen to worship music because I thought that's what Christians had to do, right? I don't push that line. I don't say Christian versus non Christian. You know what line I tell you guys to, to, to pay attention to when you're choosing your music? Truth versus not truth. All right? How many times are we get, do we get catchy songs in our head and we start singing it? And if you were to just write that words, those words down, you'd go, wait a minute, that's not true. All right? We talked about it last week. I love cheap thrills. Da, na, na, na. And it's like, wait a minute, I do not love cheap thrills. All right? And I hate how catchy that song is because I don't need another person telling me to get cheap thrills. You discern. When that song comes on the radio, well, you know what I do? I don't just, guys, you got to have the Vinny mentality, man. you got to have the bouncer mentality. Because if you just say, hey, everybody, all thoughts, come on in. No discernment. Come on in. You will, those are destructive thoughts. And what happens when destructive thoughts get in? They will destroy you. And so, when that song comes on, or this book is brought up or suggested, or that conversation goes toward that way, and you're in the locker room and now people are talking like this, you gotta be at that Vinny mentality. Hey, that's not on the list. That's not true. What else is on the list? Whatever is honorable, things that are respectable, whatever is just. You know what it means to be just? Things that are right. You ever watch a movie and the bad guy wins? What happens to you? You clap? No, you get angry, right? You start doing what my dad does, talking to the television. And I'm like, Dad, they can't hear you, right? Shoot him! And I'm like, Dad, or we're never watching a movie together again. Because it's not just. We want things that are just. Whatever is pure. Man, this is a big one for us in our day, right? Whatever is pure. These are things that are holy. Things that are appropriate for someone who has been set apart for God. Whatever is lovely. Things that deserve to be loved. Whatever is commendable. Do you guys know what it is to be commendable? Things that you admire. You go, man, I admire that, that's commendable. Things that are excellent, morally excellent. And things that are worthy of praise. Students intentionally have these thoughts in your mind. Reflect deeply on these things. Value them and then live your life according to them because these thoughts are not simply meant to just be, oh, I, I thought about them. I crossed over No, They're meant to be lived. That's why he says what you have learned from me and heard and received from me, practice these things. You can't spend all day listening to sexually charged music watching sexually charged movies, reading sexually charged books, having sexually charged jokes in your conversations, and then expect to stand firm for Jesus and not be sexually charged, right? Your thoughts lead to your actions. And so the call tonight, friends, I'm not gonna get super specific and say this, that, the call is guard your, intentionally guard your thoughts. Intentionally guard your thoughts, That's how you stand firm in Jesus. Then I'm gonna end with this. The band, you guys can get ready. Look at the last verse here. This is so, so cool, friends. When you intentionally guard your thoughts and you have a thought life of things that are good and pure and lovely and just, look what the final promise is. It says, practice these things. Everybody, eyes up here. Last line, check this out. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Do you remember earlier when we talked about anxiety? It said the peace of God will be with you. God will give you his peace. What we see here is we cultivate a mentality of godliness. God doesn't simply give us his peace. Who does he give us? Himself. There's the promise of intimacy with God. There's the promise of being near to God. And as we stand firm in Jesus, we can know God. And so students, let's respond to this. Can we do that? I'm exhorting you, stand firm in Jesus. And as you guys respond, I want you to think about what, which of these three threats threaten to move you off the mark? Which, how many of them, I should say, not which, because it's not multiple choice, right? Like how many, check all that apply. And some of you here tonight, you need to destroy disunity in your heart. You need to take inventory and say, man, thre- you, disunity is threatening to move me. Some of you guys need to learn how to depend on God in prayer because anxiety is threatening to move you. And then maybe others of you here, you need to begin intentionally guarding your thought life. You need to, be, you need to choose, have a Vinny mentality. Who's allowed in and who's not allowed in? Because destructive thoughts threaten to destroy you.